Uh, welcome to the CX Central podcast and video cast. My name is Justin Tippett, and this time I'm joined by Peter Monk, Country Manager of Australia, New Zealand for Concentrics. We'll speak English. How are you, Peter? Um, I'm good. Thanks, Justin. Yeah, no, excellent. Pleased that we're both getting out of lockdown at last and able to get into the fresh air. Oh, isn't it bloody wonderful, mate? It's been a huge year, obviously, for the world in terms of COVID and obviously Australia. And that goes right into the contact centre industry because if there's ever been some disruption to our industry, uh, it's certainly been this year. How have, how have you and how has Concentrics gone through the whole thing? Yeah, no, it's been, uh, oh, it's been, uh, as you say, it's been a year like no, no others. There's been some some highlights, and there's definitely been some some lowlights, and uh, it's really across. I'll actually, I'll actually maybe answer the question first of all by looking at some of what's what's happened to some of our customer base. Um, then I'll maybe look at some of the staff aspects and and sort of come back to concentrics in that sort of order. So. You know, our clients, we, we've got clients in all sorts of sectors. We've got them in the travel and transport industry and hospitality, which has clearly had huge impacts negative on them. Um, and, and we've sort of had to work with our clients through that, that huge downturn in that industry, which will hopefully start to recover next year. Um, we've had other other clients and other industries that have actually, um, you know, I say unfortunately, but, you know, by nature of the COVID situation have, have have been busier than ever and and we've sort of had to staff up to support them so so a range of impact on on the clients in our in our portfolio um and sort of it balanced each other out that's the advantage of having a you know a big range of, of clients and a big range of portfolio that, that we've managed to move resources from clients that don't need them to ones that can and and sort of worked our way through that which sort of leads me on to the staff aspect i mean as as you know all, all people living in Australia and New Zealand, um, you know, we employ several thousand people across the region. Um, uh, we, we've been really lucky with our clients. About half our clients let uh, us move to work at home environments. So, um, in in those instances, we've we've moved people to home. Our IT department just did an amazing job of, of carrying PCs here, there, and everywhere, setting up dongles, testing internet connections. And that's allowed the other half or so of our staff who are working in essential industries that had to stay in the centres to to at least space out. Um, and we sort of put in place COVID work safe environments and, you know, touch wood. We were very, very lucky that throughout the last eight months, we've we've not had a single COVID case touch wood, as I say, on shore. Um, and, and so that's really from a staff point of view. Um, worked very, very well. We've, we've done some surveying throughout the period just to make sure staff felt comfortable with the arrangements and we've actually had a really positive response to that so if I sort of put those two together um, from a business point of view you know we certainly a lot of our shared services have been absolutely stretched over the year trying to support the business um, so they'll be looking for a more normal 2021 I think but and then in terms of business results I think onshore we've we've never been busier, and and part of that is again arguably globally for the wrong reason. A lot of our offshore centres, particularly in India at the moment, quite severely impacted. Even though again we put in place mitigating circumstances of micro sites near residential areas, or taking up hotels and converting some of the centres to to accommodation, but uh, uh, still obviously in other parts of the world the the virus still wreaking havoc with with the everyday work life but uh, it's certainly a year i think none of us none of us will ever forget and it has had i think a lasting impact which is maybe where where we'll go in the interview in terms of 
where, where, where does this take us going forward? Yeah, look, you're right. It has had a huge impact. You mentioned your, your, your workforce and you've got thousands of employees that, that, you know, are all under you under Australia and New Zealand. Um, and interesting, I guess, the challenge that you've explained then is you had to get client permission. I think a lot of people have really struggled because it's their own context and they're going, oh, God, we've got to get to work from home. But you've got that added complexity where you've sort of got to get permission from your clients. I assume that's based around, you know, sensitive information or whatever the, the stuff is that they're dealing on the phone call itself. Uh, it is primarily. Uh, so from a client point of view, the main thing is around, yes, data security and uh, information security. Um, you know, we are we are very lucky as, as, a, as a major global organisation. We, we leverage uh, our global IP on that. So we've got, uh, you know, hundreds of people uh, in, in that sort of data security area. So um, in fact, if you go on to, to our website, you'll see, you know, we've got a whole raft of, of software we've, we've got on our work at home solution in terms of, use of the video cameras on, on the desktops to make sure that the area is secure and then all sorts of double, treble authentication to make sure the actual network is secure as well. So that was the major concern, I think, from a client point of view. I think from a staff point of view, um, although it sounded ideal, you know, people retained their jobs, they, they could work at home, which meant for a lot of people, you know, they didn't have to commute, etc. Um, it does raise um, new issues around things like occupational health and safety and, and again, a fit-for-purpose um, environment at home, um, which uh, we're still working our way through, you know, to be to be frank, and I think a lot of the industry did this, you know, day one, it was just more important to keep going than to make sure that it was 100% professional. Um, we're now obviously doing the cleanup to make sure it's uh, enterprise grade across all aspects of IT, personnel, and, and the processes to support it. Yeah, you, you mentioned you've, you did a sort of an engagement survey with your staff to check in on how they're going with work from home. Yeah. Uh, and you said that it was also, it was fairly positive results. Is it, is it just the save of the commute? Is it, you know, what, what are some of the benefits that they're attributing from work from home? I think we've all got our assumptions, but what, what did you see yeah. from the staff? Um, I think for a lot of them, uh, it was just that they, they saw the, uh, job security. Yep. So I think for a lot of people, you know, uh, who've been in, in roles where it was reliant on going into a cafe in town or working in a retail store, you know, those jobs disappeared with the lockdown. I think job security was was a major a benefit. Um, I think uh, there's no doubt about it for some of our people, yes, not having to commute is is a huge benefit. And I think because you're not having to commute with the kind of rostering uh, sophistication and complexity we've got in our our environment, it now actually allows you to do a much more flexible rostering because I don't have to be commuting in and out of the center at set times. I can actually roster myself around things like school school pickups now that schools are back, yep. um, things like other carer duties, et cetera. So I think from an individual staff point of view, it doesn't suit everybody. We, we've, we're now very much operating a blended workforce where if people want to come back in, they're, they're absolutely welcome back in. If people want to remain working at home, as long as they're in a client where environment where it's appropriate, then they can remain working at home. And I think this is one of the things we're going to see as a lasting effect, um, both in our industry, but I also think across business generally, talking to clients, that I think this hybrid model of much more work at home versus, you know, in bricks and mortar is is here to stay. And I think that definitely has, um, you know, uh, huge benefits for our industry, the outsourcing industry, where talent, talent catchment, you know, being able to recruit really good people is is 
an ongoing uh, battle. You know, the, the competition for really good people is tight. And I think the fact that now you don't have to commute within, uh, recruit within a commuting range of a, of a certain facility, and you could actually recruit um, care of things like the MBN anywhere around the country, um, really opens up some fantastic pools of talent that will now be able to get these kind of jobs that historically wouldn't have been available to them. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Do, do you think that um, for, for a lot of the staff, I know when you normally do staff engagement surveys, say, what's the one thing you love about working in a contact centre? It's typically the people, right? It's my teammates, you know, they like That's being around true. people. I love that you're giving your guys the, the option to, to work from home or to go in the centre. For the ones that are choosing to go in the centre, is it is it primarily because of that? They just like being around sort of people or is it to get away from the house or what are they telling you? Uh, I, I think it is a mixture of reasons. I, I think a lot of them... Um, because I think their working, their home environment just isn't suitable for a for a permanent work environment. You know, they might be in a share house. Um, they might not be able to have a dedicated, secure space to work from. So I think there's an element of you know my home environment's just not suitable. Um, but there is definitely an element of of camaraderie and and teamship, which again through technology like like we're using today, you know, we've managed to replicate to a certain extent. You know, a lot of team meetings, Zoom meetings, Google Hangouts. But there's nothing quite like, you know, the face-to-face interaction in the breaks or at the end of shift when when you go and, you know, have a snack or get a drink with, with your teammates. And I think a lot of it is that. I think um, an, another aspect, which which is which you can reproduce remotely, no doubt about it, but I think, you know, in in a physical environment is is the learning. And it's not so much the formal learning, it's more the the informal coaching, the observation you have of what teammates are doing and that that sort of ability to really learn from the environment is more difficult in a remote remote environment. Yeah, no doubt. What about things like um, you mentioned you, you've widened the talent pool now across right across the country, which does open up, as you said, a completely different aspect to recruitment of BPOs and all contact centres. But one of the things I see the challenges maybe is around induction. You know, normally you'd have everyone in the room and it's nice and easy to train, you know, 10, 15, 30 people, whatever it is you're doing. Do, do you think that that's going to adapt well to the online environment or is that something where you go oh wow you know if we can we'd still love to bring people in for induction um what 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 what, certainly what we're doing at the moment and as as the talent catchment gets more remote this gets more difficult is we are trying to again bring people in at least once to one of our centers um preferably in the very early days give them you know a standard locked down equipment to work with which they take home with them um, give them, you know, at least the face-to-face interaction with their team lead, with their ops manager, with their um, HR partner, so that they've got a core of people that they've met. And and as I say, um, there's a physical interaction in that early stage. And then you can do the process and technical training remotely. Um, I think as we get more remote, I think just we'll need to get better with, with the use of technology mm-hmm. and, and potentially even... Um, you know, flipping the model and saying, no, some of our people might have to go on more of an outreach program and you might have people actually, um, you know, responsible for a wider geography where they've got, you know, once a year or whatever to pop in and, and you know, have a face-to-face session with with our advisors. Yeah. Yeah. You mentioned um, around coming in to, uh, to get some equipment without making other people jealous. Like what, what do you supply to you guys that do work from home? Do you get, you know, headset, computer, laptops, whatever, or do they have to provide that stuff themselves? How does it work? 
Um, we, we have had some programs where it's been uh, BYOD, bring your own device. Um, and we did that this year just because uh, the demand on us was so huge and the supply chain around equipment was so fractured uh, with a lot of the equipment coming from China. It was the only way we could physically um, get things going. But our, our preferred model is absolutely Concentrics provide equipment. And, and part of the reason for that is it allows us to ensure that it is an absolutely locked down platform that um, uh, the advisors are using. Um, you know, it means we've got guaranteed security and, uh, you know, the the old adage of there are two sort of companies, those that know they've been hacked and those that don't know they've been hacked. Um, it is an, it's a, it's a, it's a potentially a sort of enterprise threatening event in, in an outsourcing industry. And, and we are absolutely determined to be you know, as as tight as we can be to make sure that we're not opening up any any windows for exposure. Yeah, yeah, fair yeah. So no, we basically we basically provide everything. Yeah, from an equipment point of view. Yeah, yeah, nice. I know one of the the, uh, the things when people use use gone by when we're always resistant to to working from home. A lot of it was around, well, you know, what about the professionalism? If someone hears a a baby crying or a dog barking in the background, you know, they'd be mortified. We can't have that happen to our customers. But I think. I'd love to get your views. My view is I think just culturally we've moved past that. I actually don't think anyone cares anymore if there's a baby crying or a dog barking. In fact, in some respects, it makes it a bit more human, right? So uh, is that sort of something you guys are experiencing or your clients are comfortable um, with now? I think you're right. I think getting more comfortable because I think we've all lived it. I think because we've all lived the lockdown, we all understand it and we can sympathise with it. I mean, we did have... Uh, it was on. It was on the, uh, the GB radio down in Melbourne. I think there was a, a, a caller who called in and, and didn't obviously mention us because we we always work as a client, but mentioned the client's name and said they were on the phone and they could hear the chickens in the background. And uh, the commentary, luckily, as you say, was actually taken in the right vein, which was he said, you know, I said to the advisor, do you think you should feed your chickens because they're making <laughs> a lot of noise. And apparently, apparently, our advisor said, um, "Well, I would do so, but unfortunately, they're the neighbour's chickens." So, <laughs> um, as I say, it was taken in the right vein, and I think probably that's the point you're making, which is I think people are much more understanding of it. I think um, you know the fact that it does open up job opportunities for people who couldn't get a job in in a in an urban centre is seen as a great bonus from a society point of view. And I think, you know, to me, I, I do come back to you'd need to have a uh, – I think people need enough trust in the brand that says the brand is going to look after your information and data and the brand is going to look after the staff, be it on their own payroll or on outsourced payroll. So I think, um, you know, there is definitely the potential for, you know, um, unprofessionalism in the industry to creep in, but I think that would, that would soon be – effectively found out by consumers and, and get stamped on. So I think I think as long as your brand is reputable and you, you, you value your brand, you're going to make sure you're doing things properly. Yeah, 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 I agree. Um, we're going to cover off a lot more things in this podcasting, including how outsourcing's change around more, just more than phone calls, what next year looks like, et cetera. But I wanted to just digress for a second and talk a little bit more about you. Um, because I think um, as my phone goes in the background, there's unprofessionalism for you. Um, <laughs> Amateurs, all right. Um, it's, um, one of the things that for you, I mean, you had a, if I understand this right, you got a, a bachelor in chemistry and you're, oh. 
Yeah, so I've done a little bit of research. Yeah, that's so, uh, research. Uh, yeah. Oh, wow. Um, yeah. So, so how does someone who's got a BA in chemistry wind up now uh, running, you know, uh, thousands of employees across Australia and New Zealand when you grew up in another country? I'd love to hear all about it. Yeah, no, I'll, I'll give you the, the two-second, what, what the hell is Peter Monk all about? So, yeah, I grew up in, in the UK, um, and you're right, my, my degree was in chemistry, and then I did a master's in crystallography, because I sort of thought I didn't want to get a job yet, so I'd stay at uni <laughs> for a little bit longer. And then uh, my first job was actually with Shell, the oil company, um, which sort of had a vague connection to chemistry, I suppose, um, but it was really in business, and as a graduate trainee, you rotated around departments, so I got into the computing department and I thought, oh, this is quite a good career. I think this will be around for, for all the years that I'm going to be working. Um, in the days when, you know, the computer was bigger than your kitchen fridge and has less computing power than your phone today. Yep. Um, but uh, um, changed around a couple of companies. I ended up working uh, with the Mars Corporation, uh, the sweets and pet food people in the Middle East, which is where I met... Uh, this gorgeous Queenslander, who is now my wife, um, which explains why I, I ended up in Australia. I remember arriving and she had a unit out at the Gold Coast. So we're sitting on the Gold Coast veranda looking at the waves. And I just remember thinking 200 years ago, we sent the prisoners out here yep. and we stayed in dirty, smelly, polluted <laughs> London. You know, what, boy, did we get that decision around the wrong way. So very much Australian now, three grown up boys who all um, definitely Aussie first. Um, and then I got into consulting, uh, joined uh, Coopers and Lightbrand, PricewaterhouseCoopers, and uh, that got sold to IBM. So joined IBM, and that got sold to Concentrics. And effectively, um, it was at, during the time at IBM that they sort of looked at the process knowledge that I had at that stage. It was C I was managing the CRM practice, and you know they sort of said, "Look, hey, rather than just telling people how to run their processes, why don't we run them for them? And that's how we got into the BPO business. So it's actually been, uh, it's been really good. You know, I'm, I'm, I've had to keep changing company, keep changing focus without having to apply. So I'm a very lazy <laughs> job hopper in that sense. Yeah. That seems to have worked out pretty well for you, mate. So, uh, and is it seven years you've been at Concentrix now or, or is that yeah. with IBM? Yeah, yeah, that's right. So uh, the, as I say, Concentrix bought, bought the uh, the CRM outsourcing business uh, from IBM, yeah, seven years ago. Um, it's really meant that we've managed to get very, very focused on customer experience. You know, I think with IBM, it had that lost bigness of it had so much it could offer that you sort of felt you could do something for anyone. Uh, with us, it's very clearly customer experience, and it's very clearly um, that we want to infuse uh, digital transformation into solutions. So it's not saying we can't just do the straight outsourcing, but the real value I think we bring to the party and the industry generally is, you know, we've made these huge investments in digital capabilities. And so, you know, by coming to an outsourcer, you can just leverage those capabilities rather than having to buy them. So, you know, you've got the omni-channel telephony platforms already installed in the clouds. You've got social media monitoring skills. You've got messaging and chat skills that you can, as I say, leverage and buy. It's very much the sort of, uh, in a way, it's it's what the likes of uh, and many of our clients are in these industries, in, in the, the gig economy industries of sort of Airbnb and Uber and TripAdvisor, et cetera, which says, you know, I, I'm going to bring my expertise to the to the party so that you don't have to replicate it 
Yep, I'm glad you touched on that because it's so true. I mean, outsourcing, I think a lot of people have got that perception that it is, you know, it's your, your call centres and it might be inbound customer service or maybe some outbound telemarketing and never thought much beyond that. But clearly now, uh, it, as you said, it is that whole entire customer journey now and you're, you're crossing across all the channels and importantly making all the channels talk to each other as well. Absolutely. I mean, it's quite funny being in the industry, and I'm sure you're the same, Justin, and I'm, I'm assuming a lot of people on this call will be the same. There's nothing more infuriating than you you, 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 tr you try and call someone and they ask maybe for your credit card number or some kind of identifying information, and the moment you get through, the first thing you're asked for is your identification again. It's like, yep. <laughs> oh boy, we got some... So to me, that's awesome, because that's a prospect that I want to go and talk to, because... Yeah, there are much smarter, better ways of doing it these days. And uh, certainly with some of the technologies coming in, you know, they're still, uh, what would I say, uh, the, the technology vendor speak will always be a little bit ahead of, of, of good adoption. But I think one of the things we are seeing uh, clients already talking about, you know, a lot of people are well into their digital transformation journeys. A lot of people were still talking and planning about doing stuff, but I think virtually every client is now looking at what's happened this year and going, you know what, we need to accelerate this. I need to turn a lot more of this into reality because, you know, I was too dependent on the people. I need to make sure my client base, my customer base can do more self-serve, that there is more digital capability so that if I do get disruptions like this where my centers get taken out, um, uh, I can still, the business can still run. So I think we will see even more focus or, or acceleration on on digital implementations coming into 21. Yep. You mentioned uh, around digital, I'm glad you said that, around automations in particular because it's almost, um, you know, against what you're trying to do because typically call centre outsourcing is based, based on a per call sort of a model, right? Um, you know, you charge per transaction per minute or whatever it might be and yet a lot of stuff now is moving to self-service where they may actually not talk to a live agent. You can help businesses with automations, etc. How does that sort of hurt on the, the bottom line for, for your business though because it, it seems like a bit self-sacrificing? It is, and I mean, I think I think at Concentrics we, we do run a bit of a contrarian business model on this. So, so you know, the mantra we would run right through our account manager, our operations managers, and all our advisors on the floor is, you know, if you're doing an activity and you're saying there's no value in this for us as an enterprise, there's no value in this for the customer on the end of the transaction, how do we eliminate it? How do we automate it? How do, how do we just get that out of the system? Because that is consuming cost and time, but is adding no value. And... And so virtually all of our programs have that as an as a underlying mantra that says, how do I get these valueless transactions out of the system? Um, you're right, it absolutely cannibalizes our business, um, but I would take the attitude twofold. One is, it's the right thing to do. Yep. It's, it's, and you know, you've got to do the right thing by, by your customers. And, and secondly, if we don't do it, frankly, someone is going to come along and, and, and do it to us. So. We absolutely do it. Um, what is it? What, is, what have we found doing this? And as you mentioned, we've, we've been running as Concentrics now for several years. We're finding one of two things. We're finding, first of all, where we're doing it with clients. Uh, they are rewarding us with, hey, you're generating fantastic value for us. Can you do this? Can you do this? Can you do this? So, um, you know, the scope we're working with clients is increasing through that whole CX value chain. So that sort of, in a way, replaces lost revenue. Um, the other thing that we're doing, we're seeing, which is to me a sign that again we're doing the right thing by clients, is um, referrals. So you know we often will get uh, people phone up and say, "Hey, I was talking to so and so. They said we should talk." So uh, you know, in a market like ours in Australia, and, and even more so in New Zealand, you know, the market is is fairly defined, and I think reputation 
uh, goes a long way in, in whatever industry you're in. And I think no no more, you know, the outsourcing industry than other industries. So it's really about, yeah, just just making sure you're you're doing the right thing. And and if you do, it'll it'll come back and pay back. Yeah, you're right. I mean, I think that that's around that whole customer retention strategies. And if you don't do it, someone else is going to. So you're better off helping them with everything and, and you'll start, sign them up for years instead of just turn, turning them over. And, and so much work goes into onboarding a client. Um, the last thing you want to do is lose them, right? Absolutely. I mean, it's a lose-lose. Everybody lose. The clients lose. The, the outsourcing companies servicing the clients lose. It really is. A, it's a very old-fashioned business model. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I know you, you you sort of get around the traps uh, around the world and speak to different people and visit different things. One of the things I've always tended to see in Australia, opposed to say somewhere like the US, is we're always running a little bit behind on some things. Is around the use of outsourcers. You know, in the US, it's very common that, you know, as you said, it's an area of specialty for a business, and they go, you know what? I don't know what I'm doing. I'm just going to get the professionals in to come in. And whether that's running, you know, my customer inquiries via the call centre, my email chat, my live chat, my social media, whatever it might be, let's just get someone to do it. And yet over here in Australia, it seems to be, uh, you know, we'll, we'll try and do it for a lot of companies and then it gets a little bit too hard and then it grows and then we might try and find someone. Do you think that's starting to change though now? Do you think people are sort of going, and this crisis has maybe accelerated that where you go, hey, shit, we don't know what we're doing. We just haven't got time to muck around either. We just need someone to hit the go button and get it all sorted for us. Um, it's, it's, it's interesting. I, I think it has made people, uh, and again, it's probably a 2021 statement. I think people are going to definitely reassess their CX uh, network, if I just call it the CX network, and make sure that it is more agile, it is more um, fit for purpose, and it is more cost-effective. So that might have a range of, of outcomes. You know, if I look at traditionally and if you think of a little bell a bell curve of companies you know the guys that have really adopted to outsourcing are either the guys that are at the tail end of that that are in in strife and it's like i've got to do something yep. i'm, I'm going to cut costs i'm going to outsource or are at the leading edge of it which is i don't do this stuff well i don't want to have all of this sitting on my books i'm, I'm going to focus on what i'm good at and i'm going to outsource everything else not just uh, BPO and outsourcing, but I'm going to outsource manufacturing. I'm going to outsource logistics. You know, I'm going to. Uh, you're back to the digital disruptors. You know, that's yeah. their business model. Yeah. Um, and and if I look at where of where is our client base growing, it is at that digital disruptor end. You know, you almost think of any electronic device, any of those gig economy companies that you use, they're, they're probably being serviced by concentric, and it's probably in a digital channel. There's actually very little voice work goes in with them. So. Um, uh, I, th I think though the the laggards and the leaders um, are, are the sort of traditional base, but I do think there's a there's a middle ground now where there's never really been the urgency to move, and in fact there's been quite a, uh, a quite problematic to move because you've got the legacy built up in house, and obviously to move that legacy is both difficult and risky and time consuming. So it's sort of you look at it and you think, no, nah, it's not really broken, so I'll just stay where it is. Um, I think people might just use this disruption in the industry as a as a bit of a checkpoint that says, actually, let's have a look at everything. You know, am I really, again, if rather than doing it 100% in-house, should I do a blended model, do some in, some out? That adds a bit of flexibility. Um, it adds, you know, geographic flexibility. Uh, it spreads the investment need, et cetera. So I think we will see people reassessing their networks. Now, whether that means... Uh, more outsourcing. Um, I think it'll be a client by client type decision. 
Um, I think in terms of offshoring, again, I think it comes back to brand. I, I think a lot of the smaller organizations will struggle maybe to um, come across credibly as, yeah, I can protect your brand. Um, and I think we've seen that during this year. Uh, but I think it will definitely uh, shake up the market a little bit. And I mean, you know, the market uh, globally has been going through a consolidation period for several years now, you know, either companies closing or companies getting bought. And I think we'll continue to see that. I think one of the trends that we're seeing is, you know, you will, you either have to get big and that way you can really capitalize on on your, the, the IP and the assets you've got or you need to get really niche and specialized and do it better than anyone can do it. And I think those middle of the road companies, as I say, will, will continue to see um, consolidation happening in the industry. Yeah, yeah, there's certainly been no shortage of uh, mergers and acquisitions in the last uh, couple of years, and uh, I'm sure yeah. there'll be plenty more to come. So one of the things you just touched on then was around, um, you know, sort of on cost, and, I, and I'm, obviously I run a business where I help people find out sources that are good for them, but I think we sort of need to bust the perception a little bit that everyone sort of goes, oh, well, if it's going to be more expensive if I go to an outsourcer because, you know, if I could just pay the people myself and they'll put their mark up on it and that real sort of simplistic look at it. But the reality is when, when you outsource it, when you outsource functions to an outsourcer, um, there's a whole bunch of speciality and typically you can drive costs out because you can help them with automation and all the other stuff and because you're experts at what you do, you're more efficient. So is that something, again, that you feel like you've still got to remind people of and we've got to get that message out or is that changing now and people go, oh, no, it's, it is what it is? Um, it is, it is, uh, it does depend on clients. So, I mean, you know, uh, certainly there's less focus, I think, on cost than there were a few years back. You know, a few years back, a lot of outsourcing was a cost reduction exercise, and that's where we saw the big offshoring programs, yep. um, which, which did generate significant cost savings, no doubt about it. I think now the pendulum swung a little bit more about actually, can you get me a better customer experience? by sitting in your environment and I'm looking at all of the tools you've got. So it's things like say, um, you know, whispering tools so that, you know, as the, as the advisor's talking, the system's actually saying into the headset um, advice to the, to the advisor in terms of, you know, look at this, I think that's what they're looking for, or you should be asking these kind of questions because I think that'll get their answer. So you're actually getting a better customer experience and a lot of clients are, I think, looking for a better customer experience and okay cost always does come in so although often people will say no no it's just the customer experience i'm interested in the cost has to add up it, it has to at least you know be on par if not offer a significant reduction and, and you're right that's where and it was some of the conversation we we're having earlier because you're right i mean we, we pay the same as 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 customers would pay we we have building costs we have it costs arguably our it costs are actually higher but the kind of efficiencies we can run and the kind of non-value costs we can drive out, um, in our experience, more than uh, makes up for that. And you can generate a very healthy business case for onshore outsourcing. You know, it doesn't have to go offshore if, if it's more important for your brand to be delivered locally for local knowledge, local, um, you know, uh, brand value and for, you know, local um vocal vocal accents then uh, you can still generate a very healthy business case 
Yeah. All right. Well, let's talk about 2021 because um, 2020 is coming to a close. If you're listening to this podcast now, it was recorded in November uh, 2020, just to date stamp it. So um, where do you see it heading? Obviously, we've got work from home now. Do you think that that's something that's just going to stay and you're going to continue that sort of optional model for your employees? And therefore, are you going to look at reducing footprint to some of your bigger facilities? There's a whole bunch of stuff we could cover off. Yeah. So I, I think... Um I think it will become much more blended and hybrid. So, you know, people previously were fairly black and white of, no, no, I want to be in a brick and mortar or, you know, if I'm running campaign type work, no, I'm happy for the whole thing to be work at home. I think a blended model will become probably a fairly accepted norm. I think some clients that prior to this year felt they would always need to be in secure premises as they're looking at the kind of security you can put into remote systems um, I think they're getting to a level of comfort that says, okay, no, I, I get this. I think we can have some of our processes work at home. So I do think we're going to end up in a hybrid model. Um, I think the other thing we're seeing, and it's interesting, this is where I disagree slightly maybe with, with my technology vendor colleagues, is we are absolutely seeing adoption of, of digital technology. So there's no doubt about it, you know, messaging, social media, uh, interactions, um, you know, even even the old, the more old stage, you know, chat and email is, is still there, and those volumes are growing significantly. Voice volumes, though, are in our experience not declining. You know, so it's actually people are looking for more interaction. And if, like, again, I'd come back to a hypothesis that says, as long as that interaction is improving the customer experience, and so long as it's adding value to either the customer or the enterprise. The fact the volume's going up should not worry people because you're getting a stickier, more advocate customer on the end, and, that, and that'll have a payback for you. Yep, yep. And uh, and in terms of facilities, do, do you see a shift starting to happen in that? Um, I, I certainly think uh, the CBD facilities um, are, are going to become less and less popular. I think as people don't need to commute into the CBD, I think they will choose more, maybe more the urban fringe. Yep. Um, you know, we've deliberately uh, got got some of our centres, you know, in those urban fringes. We, we do have one in the CBD. Um, so I think, you know, CBD real estate is going to – I wouldn't want to be in the business of, no, of having to lease it, I don't think. Very nervous, wouldn't you? <laughs> that's not – you know, that's not an outsource statement. I think that's a general general commerce statement. Um, uh, but I think, you know, and we've mentioned some of it, I think, you know, the camaraderie, a lot, a lot of it – a lot of outsourcing is around the teaming aspects. And so I think there will be some programs where um, – and, and some cohorts of, of advisors that – just being in a facility will will work better for them, but maybe yes, a facility in rural or countryside rather than, than CBD. So in a way, you're getting a bit of the benefits of both worlds. Yeah. Yeah. Now you certainly have uh, Concentrics, I should say, ha- has a footprint right across not just Australia and New Zealand, as you've mentioned. Um, and we've already touched on that sentiment, maybe around the the trend in offshoring and stuff, maybe coming back back to Australia. Do you, do you see that continuing throughout 2021? Um, I, I don't see a huge uh, a huge move. I mean, there are definitely, and there have been maybe half a dozen, uh, uh, you know, Australian Australian um, enterprises uh, go public about repatriating some roles. And I think some people are now looking at it and going, yes, maybe I went a step too far. I lost agility. So when, you know, my offshore centres got shut down, 
um, I, I lost the ability to to maybe run some fairly essential activities. So I think I think we will have people assess the extent to which they've offshored, but I do see that as a an ongoing sustainable business model. I mean, you know, again, uh, we service multiple clients where it's we service them onshore and we service them offshore. And from a client experience point of view, I would you would actually not necessarily know where you're being serviced from. Yep, yep. And uh, in terms of uh, challenges that you foresee coming up, obviously you've touched on tech, you've touched on home. How are your like management team going? Because I can imagine having worked in outsourcing, there's never a spare moment and uh, there's always been so much happening. How, how do you sort of keep those guys up and about at the moment? Um. I mean, at the moment, if, if I'm brutally honest, it's, you know, when, when you're busy, you, you don't have time to worry. <laughs> I think that's probably where most of us are. We're really, really busy. Yep. Just don't have time to worry. Um, Can I give you one tip, though, Peter? Don't buy, yeah. the, don't buy the guys' watches as a reward and recognition. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's, that's, that's very, very true. Um, I think, you know, we're, we're, we're in a lucky position where we, we, we are growing. We're growing quite significantly year on year, and that gives everybody opportunities, and it means we can invest in, in the teams. So, so people are managing to bolster their, their teams and get the support around them that they need. Um, I'm about to lose my battery headset, so I can plug it into the cable if we pause for five minutes. Uh, well, no, we'll just, we're, we're about to wrap things up anyway, so let's, okay, um, we'll, let's um, we'll finish it off and we'll, we'll get this right before we lose okay. you. So, um, mate, I, I know you're an incredibly busy man, so thank you for giving up some time to spend to us and talk to the listeners today. Uh, obviously, I'll put the website there if people want to learn more about Concentrix. It's just concentrix.com. Uh, no AU, just the .com. Um, and uh, Peter, I look forward to, well, I'm sure we'll catch up again next year and uh, look forward to hearing how everything is going to pan out for you. No, I look forward to it, Justin. Enjoy the chat. Always enjoy talking to you. Your, your knowledge of the industry is fantastic. And I think I learn as much as hopefully someone can learn from what I've said. So really appreciate the opportunity to talk. Uh, thank you, mate. That's uh, very kind of you. All right, that's it for us. Goodbye for now.